Welcome to Thriving Through Menopause. I'm your host, Clarissa Christensen, an international menopause expert, author, and speaker. I help women go from feeling uncertain, uncomfortable, and struggling to experiencing a new sense of confidence, freedom, and vitality. My own story mirrors that of thousands of women that I have connected with through writing my book, speaking engagements, and coaching. Like you, I felt unprepared, unsupported, and at times dismissed by family, employers, and even doctors. That's why I created this podcast as a place of advocacy, offering facts, resources, and a community where you can become more empowered to take control of your menopause journey. Join us each week as we dive into honest, open, raw conversations on the topics that matter deeply to menopausal midlife women. From our changing bodies to our relationships, to dealing with menopause and aging at work and in society. My mission is to help you to tap into our collective wisdom so you can emerge more powerful, wiser, not just older, thriving and ready to embrace wholeheartedly the next chapter in your life. Welcome to another episode of Thriving Through Menopause. I'm your host, Clarissa Christensen, and today we're going to be talking about lifestyle medicine and how that's growing and how that can support all of you out there who are going through our peri to post menopause journey. And we'll be touching on some really exciting new developments in modern medicine around telehealth, which some of you may be encountering, particularly now during this time of pandemic. And I'm being joined today by my good friend, Elizabeth Fontaine, Dr. Elizabeth Fontaine. She has more than 26 years experience as a physician specializing in obstetricity, And she's also now for the last few years been specializing in lifestyle medicine with women as a key focus. Elizabeth, welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much, Marissa. So happy to join you in this hey, I'm uh, excited to have you here. Tell us a little bit, Elizabeth, about your background and your journey from classical medicine to the work that you're doing now. Yeah, so, um, you know, I'm originally from Canada, from Quebec. Uh, and um, prior to my medical school, I uh, studied, uh, I think you call it more kinesiology. And then I went on to do a master degree in obesity and exercise physiology. And then I, I did my medical school, my specialty in OBGYN, and uh, I moved to United States in 94. And I practiced in this very small community uh, as an obstetrician gynecologist. Um, so with my background in um, the health, like the exercise physiology and uh, obesity, I, you know, and, and with my patient that were growing older with me, I start helping them to change their lifestyle because they were starting to have chronic disease. Um, so that, that kind of triggered constantly my interest to continue helping them. And, and, and then I, um, discovered, I didn't even know it existed at the time, but about 10 years ago, I discovered there was an American College of Lifestyle Medicine. So I joined them and I've learned a lot about uh, lifestyle uh, as a physician, believe it or not. I was not so much familiar 
And a couple of years ago, uh, they had a board certification, so I became board certified, and I included that in my practice. And because of that, I had the chance to become the medical director of lifestyle medicine in my organization, and also what we call Rice Vermont, which we can talk a little bit more at some point if we want to. And, um, you know, kind of work uh, into lifestyle, into helping uh, individuals. And I love that sort of blend because obviously you're bringing a deep background of the body of medicine, but combining it with this beautiful new field of lifestyle medicine. What do you classify as lifestyle medicine for our listeners who may not be quite clear about what that means? So it's things that, you know, can appear to be common sense, but they're evidence-based uh, element uh, that you can apply to, to stay healthy. Um, you know, oftentimes is more like a toward a um, whole plant food base for nutrition, uh, movement, exercise, um, better sleep. Um, you know, reduction of alcohol consumption, um, stress, um, and, you know, no smoking. So it, it's all these elements that plays all together. But you cannot, it, it seems to be simple, but I can tell you that it's almost a day-to-day things that I have to discuss in the office. You know, people in our new uh, system, new word in the medical field, is people are coming and they want to be fixed. And they think that there's a pill for this. When in itself, we have to backtrack and find the cause. And the cause is most of the time lifestyle related. For some people, it's more toward nutrition. Some others, more anxiety, stress, job, burnout. So it's this is where the lifestyle is, is huge. Yes, important. and that's very true, isn't it? The sense that people want to be fixed. It's almost like the medical system has told us there's always a pill for that. And and that isn't always the case, or there is, but it might not be the most effective long-term strategy. No, no. And, and, you know, when you look at the cost of healthcare, you know, probably a good 85% of the cost of healthcare is related to what we call chronic disease, related to diabetes, hyperpressure, cardiac disease, many other obesity. And now that, when you look at it, is related to our lifestyle. So the majority of people think, oh, you know, it's in my family. In itself, it is a, a small portion that is genetic. The reason that it is related to your family is because we all have the same lifestyle in our family. So to be able to change that is, is a lot of uh, uh, impact. On the long term, and how much this would have an impact on the cost of healthcare? That would be just it would because it is very expensive to treat people, isn't it? I mean, a lot as you said, it's a huge number of people, and that's just not only a U.S. perspective; it's global, isn't it? But absolutely, absolutely, uh, you know, U.S. is certainly a not a a fantastic (laughs) example of health. Uh, but it is true that it exists in, in many of the, uh, you know, uh, developing. Yes. Uh, I mean, I think that we in the Europe, that's the same and certainly Australia, but I'm seeing things like that appearing even in parts of Asia, particularly as they've begun to adopt a more Western diet and a more sedentary lifestyle. Yes. So when you're working particularly with women, uh, 
tell us a little bit about how a lifestyle medicine approach can help menopausal women. Where do we start? Yeah, I guess your audience is probably um, kind of familiar with uh, all the symptomatology with menopause. Uh, and so that, you know, when, when, when they hit the age where they start to have, you know, I guess probably the most common one that people come with is hot flashes or anxiety or lack of sleep or the, the weight gain. And so, so there's, there's so many factors and so many elements that are affecting women that, that again, uh, you know, it's a, it, it's a burden on them. And, and again, um, you know, how, how do you fix yourself into this? So, you know, going back to many, many years ago when I start my practice, you know, we can certainly touch a little bit about hormones and come back to this. But every, every woman that would hit menopause when I was trained would go on, on hormones until we had some studies that were going against it, even if um, new study are showing that it's not as bad as we think the hormones are, but in any event, um, for the moment, if we want to discuss more lifestyle, I think that the majority of them, it's the same thing with chronic diseases, that if we're able to improve their lifestyle, like they're, you know, it's, it's, it's just a simple, um, trying to have, it's almost like a schedule of what is it that you're eating? When are you sleeping? What's happening with the sleep pattern? What are the, the condition of your sleep, uh, you know, the work. It's it's all these elements that if we're able to uh, work a little bit more toward this, we can certainly help women that seems to have the worst symptoms. It's, we don't want to forget that there's maybe as a number, there's probably 50% of women that are very symptomatic. And there's another 50 or, or less, and I don't want to be precise on the number, that, that don't have as much symptoms. And of the ones that are very, very symptomatic, you know, when you look at the years goes like it, it seems that it gets better with the time. So it's never as bad uh, after a few years than at the very beginning. And I think your your you know podcasts are probably a little bit aware of that. But I, there's there's a huge uh, improvement in the symptoms when people are making effort to to. To control a little bit. Absolutely. And uh, I was actually talking about this yesterday, uh, about the latest research, which I'm sure you're aware of, Elizabeth, around hot flashes, that they're now really beginning to say that there is a link. I came from the North American Menopause Society around glucose levels and stress levels contributing immensely to the intensity and duration of women's hot flashes. And that's lifestyle related. Absolutely. So that's that the, and we as a society have been so much ingrained into the sugar, you know, the processed food, um, that we don't see it as being a potential part and relationship to our symptoms. So it is, uh, you know, it, it, we never, oftentimes, uh, we think more about being careful about eating and all the element I discussed earlier for chronic disease, but the menopause symptoms are also very, very much affected by Absolutely. Our I think definitely affected by what we eat, uh, as you said, sugar, and particularly sugar in a refined form, 
is oh yeah is is bad for us it interferes with our sleep it can interfere with create more intense hot flashes it can do lots of things can't it in our in our body as well as weight of course and we don't want added weight do we at this time of life Yeah, the hormones level are significantly changing. That's that's definite. But uh, you know, if you if you feed your body the the wrong food, it certainly doesn't. Uh, it does. It contributes to uh, some of your um, you know symptoms. It, it, you know, it seems to be again. I'm going to repeat myself. It seems to be simple, but those are hard to change. People have having huge difficulty to try to go back to. A, a a better lifestyle, but when they do, um, they feel so yes. much Yes, and Elizabeth, why do you think it's so hard to make those changes? What are some of the key barriers that you see for that change to become not just short-term, but to become adopted as part of lifestyle? Well, you know, one of it is, um, you know, habits and behavior. You're used to do something the same way for so long. And, you know, there's this addiction. Let's, let's not forget about the addiction to sugar. You know, if you think about drug addiction, how difficult it is to kind of help people on that, then you have the alcohol and smoking. Well, I don't want people to forget that the sugar is in the same class as this. So once you've been addicted to sugar, such a pleasurable um, you know, uh, that it's so pleasurable that people have difficulty to, uh, you know, let go. Um, so that's one of the example. Often also what I've noticed with my practice was that I, I have created a lot of different programs to try to help my population. When they were with me, they were doing very, very well. Like if, if, if we say as an example, a 12 weeks program where I follow them to what they eat and the movement, uh, you could see a significant improvement with weight loss. They're feeling better. Cholesterol is better. Blood pressure is better. They discontinue medication. And as soon as I am out of the picture, and you remeasure this in six months, I'd say that 50% of people are back to it. So here's the problem where I say, hey, what, what is it that I can do to help? And I realize that the behavior is where is the most important. They have to be the one that choose to make the change. They cannot say it's Dr. Fontaine that tell me. So I worked a lot into my uh, practice to understand the behavior, and I was trained as a coach. So I um, I took uh, classes in order to understand better the behavior, and I'm you know going to be pretty soon to be um, credentialed with the International Coaching Federation. Um, basically, what you want is that you, Clarissa, as an example, you want to be the one making the change. So. Instead of me, the physician, to be the expert, which I am most of the time when the patient are coming to see me, when you discuss lifestyle, you have to turn it around. You, Clarissa, become the expert. And I have to be able to help you to realize what are the change that you are ready to, um, to do in order to improve your health. And it takes a little bit more of a dynamic uh, way to um, think about that. 
Um, that's why following the behavior and learning about the coaching had been so significant for me. I'll tell you, I wish I had known these elements when I was a young physician um, because I could have helped my patients so much more um, than, um, you know, just, just being the expert is one thing. But being able to understand how the patient is seeing things is so Absolutely. much more Absolutely. And you're right. It's that gap between behavior and what you know. And I think intellectually, and I'd be saying that to anybody listening here, all of us know that we should eat healthily. All of us know that we should exercise and that we need to get seven to eight hours sleep. That's not really the news. That the, As you say, it's that gap between what I know and what I'm trying to do and making that part of my life. And, and that's where it's much more, as you say, about coaching, about understanding, well, why? Why do I want to change? And then how am I going to do it? Because I think otherwise we just buy hundreds of diet programs. And I read once that women had been on something like 60 diets in their life and none of them had worked, which, just, which sounds staggering, but it's quite Absolutely. Yeah, there's billions of dollars every year, you know, especially now in January where people are just jumping on, on the new diet. Okay, this year, this is what I'm going to do. Um, I will say that as a physician expert in the domain of, uh, you know, obesity, weight and chronic, it, it would be so much easier for me to say, this is what you need to do. Just like you said, okay, we know we need to eat well. We know we need to exercise. But I have to reframe myself and take time to understand who's in front of me and how this person, you know, is 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 going to be able to do that. And and it's uh, it is this magical uh, of this portion of ourself that is hidden. Um, that when you take time to listen as a thinking partner, um, how you can make these change uh, happening. So when you turn that. Corner, suddenly the individual um, as a whole is able to uh, figure out what what they can do in order to change uh, what has not been working for them. So there's a, the, it, it's such an important uh, element. The, um, I don't like calling it coaching, but it's definitely to, because people um, envision coaching at anybody else, any, anybody now calls themselves coach. Um, once you have the, the, um, adequate training, uh, you realize the impact that you can have in helping the individual to figure it out. And that's yourself. it. And that's, that's the, big the big thing, thing, isn't it? Figuring it out ourselves. And I, and of course, each of us don't we have our own lifestyles. I mean, what we're trying to do in terms of changing our diet or exercise program is occurring within you know, the context in which we live, other family members, how busy we are. There's a whole host of other things. As you said, we're part of families and our sugar eating and our other habits come inside our, inside our sort of history of who we are. So that's, that's part of what we have to learn to be able to change or work around. Yeah, yeah, in the... Um... You know, uh, one of the things when you think about lifestyle, I, I'll say that uh, when um, I was telling you earlier that 10 years ago when I uh, discovered the American College of Lifestyle Medicine and I went to the first conference, as a physician, I couldn't believe the impact of a diet like a whole plant food-based diet 
have on cholesterol level, on cardiac disease, on diabetes. I mean, you can not only treat, prevent, but you can reverse diabetes, especially diabetes type 2. You're not going to reverse diabetes type 1 because it's genetic. You can improve it, though. But there is no reason for any individual to have diabetes type 2. We can reverse that with a proper diet. I, I was flabbergasted as a physician that I was unaware of these. So I had, again, to learn more about nutrition. Uh, and uh, it's, it's amazing how much we, uh, physician, how much physician are not uh, trained in nutrition mm. sufficiently. That's very true. And in maybe, I would say, stress management or exercise. Uh, they sometimes I hear doctors say things like you need to go for a walk or you need to exercise more, but it kind of ends there, you know, and people go, oh, how do I do that? Well, one of the things also that is not easy, I, I don't want to put all the stress into the physician, but, you know, because unfortunately it's a vicious circle. The people are sick quite a bit. Uh, it, it, the prevention takes time. You know, the behavior component, like I'm talking about, it takes time for the physician. And unfortunately, what's happening, it, we tend to, you know, first, first of all, depending on the way you're paid, and I don't know how it is in Sweden, but in the United States, we still quite a bit on, you know, pay for service. The more people you see, the more money you make. Well, in order to do prevention, you got to take time, and therefore you're not seeing as many patients. So for a lot of people, or physician organization, it, it does not represent a good way to make medicine, unfortunately, but it should be. Prevention at some point definitely needs to take over everything we're doing now. Uh, it no, is that's so true. Important. And I think in systems like European systems where we have obviously more state-based med care, medical care, the problem is that because it costs so much, the appointments are hard to get. You, you know, even to get an ordinary sort of checkup, you might have to wait multiple weeks because you're not a priority unless you can afford to pay, which most people can't. And then when you get there, you've got 15, well, seven minutes of some of the basic um, appointments in the UK. And even here in Sweden, it's less than 10 minutes. There's, there's no time in 10 minutes to have any kind of a conversation that's meaningful. And so it becomes in healthcare systems like that, not even medication because that costs, or you get the most basic and you get a little bit of very, very average advice. If you're very ill, you get tremendous help because the system is geared to be like that. So the lifestyle factors that are around diet and exercise don't get sufficiently covered in normal um, general practice. Absolutely. Now, this is well said. Uh, and the COVID, um, you know, there's more and more studies for COVID-19 that demonstrate that, uh, yes, we know it tends to affect uh, people that are older. Um, but a lot of time also, it tends to affect people that have chronic disease. So if we were in a perfect world that we were all the healthy without chronic or substantially less chronic disease, how much more um, survival would we have? Um, that I think that would make a, a significant uh, difference. I, I agree. So I think we recognize both of us, don't we, that lifestyle medicine is incredible, 
but it requires maybe a different approach, more of a coaching approach. Well, for me, it, it is an it, it you know it goes together, and I think that will help us to uh, you and I to bring the other subject that you know I I am more for any reason brought me to to where I am now. So um, so I I decided to start a business. Uh, it's interesting, just at the moment where COVID hit us. So I had decided that even before. But a coaching business uh, with a partner who um, home is a previous nurse, but was a uh, you know in the C-suite for many years. So we're coaching leadership and well-being. We think that the two goes together. So that being said, I was always interested into the medical world, not only for lifestyle, but how can we make it easier for people? And the telemedicine was something that interests me quite a bit, but. For any reason, it was always complicated, and then suddenly COVID hit, and everybody's doing it. So now, uh, you know, very soon, I'm, I'm joining a, a, a clinic uh, that that's doing telemedicine for lifestyle. So I'll be the specialist of women's health and tel- in lifestyle medicine. And I'll be able to offer my service in uh, hopefully about five different states in the United States. But the beauty of that is that I can serve internationally. So you, Clarissa, could become my patient and I would be offering this service to you as telemedicine. To me, that is a huge opening to the world and being able to uh, help uh, Isn't that wonderful? And I think that you're right. Telemedicine is absolutely growing and it's growing very fast. But um, how do patients for whom this is a very unfamiliar process get the best from a telemedicine call? Is it different than going to your doctors? Maybe my underlying question. Well, the first of all, you, you have to, you know, you don't have to necessarily go to your doctor locally, uh, sit in a waiting room, don't know what time uh, your physician is really going to see you, get into the room. It's a little bit impersonal and, uh, you know, sometimes you could be lucky and being very local and it is personal, but there's all these things that are adding up. The telemedicine, the beauty is that, um, you know, you, you schedule your time, you have exactly the time where you want to be, and you have one individual who's right in front of you for that period of time. I never anticipate that I would say that, that being able to communicate uh, as a physician with an individual, a woman in front of me through uh, telemedicine uh, allows this individual to be actually much more comfortable. So imagine you're going to my office, you have to change, you're naked under that little dormitory, and now you, you can be just in your living room in the space that you feel comfortable with and that you can discuss something that could be related to very menopause and you have your physician, Dr. Fontaine or whoever it is, sitting right in front of me, you and being able to share and explain and understand, yeah, you know, the, it, it could be, it, it's actually, it's working fantastically. So I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled to see that, uh, unfortunately, the COVID had helped us to discover, um, a way that will facilitate the communication 
And whenever the individual wants to do it, that's the that's fantastic. I mean, telemedicine is big here in Sweden. We've been doing that for a while. And yet we're even doing that in terms of, you know, obviously mental health services. And you can even take your pet to the televet, which I think is obviously not for serious <laughs> things, but, but, you know, if you need to just have the dog checked out, it cuts itself or, you know, just checking that it's okay to have any, any medication. And then it's really, it's really liberating, as you say, because you're right. You know what time you're going to be there as opposed to sitting in a waiting surgery. And I wouldn't be very keen to do that right now and during COVID times. Yeah. And, the person gives you undivided attention for however long you've booked. That's amazing. Absolutely. Yeah. I didn't realize that Sweden was so much ahead of us. Uh, United States, well, maybe there's some other area. Of course, I'm in a small area where I work in uh, Vermont, but um, it was it was difficult to make people uh, use the telemedicine. Uh, uh, but now the this has changed totally. And uh, um you know, it's, I kind of, I'm almost, um, you know, thankful for being able to offer this at this Absolutely. time of my career. Oh, that's um, so wonderful. I love yeah. that, Elizabeth. I mean, for me, I would say to people who are listening to this, you know, I came from a traditional background of going to the doctor, both in when I lived in the UK and then when I lived in Australia. And then I came here and I was pretty much forced to do it because it's so hard to get a mainstream doctor's appointment, even though they're at the bottom of the road. And I resorted to telemedicine and it was strange at first. You know, it felt quite strange as a patient, but I embraced it and it really works well in our country because you can then follow up by going to a local clinic if you need something done. It's, it facilitates that. Or if it's something you need, if it is a medication that you require, then that can be very quickly done also seamlessly through apps and your medication is, is prescribed. And they can cover quite a lot of common ailments, whether that's for you as a woman in menopause or whether it's your child or you, whatever it is, in terms of stuff that doesn't need, uh, you know, real investigating or you can, you can have a precursor to being sent somewhere else. Yeah, absolutely. Even in the world as an example of menopause, I mean, imagine that in an office you see, uh, I don't know, d d just give a number, 10 in woman that comes to see you for something that relates to menopause. I mean, you can, you can actually do a, a group, uh, telemedicine, you know, on Zoom, uh, with all the privacy. And, and this discussion between women is just amazing. It offers the support that they are offering to each other, uh, with, you know, somebody, uh, that is there to, um, kind of mediate a little bit the discussion or the, the mentoring, um, give absolute, uh, fantastic. Oh, wow. Results. That's exciting. Is that the direction you're going to be taking your work? Well, I think that for the, uh, I have done this, uh, as a physician in the office where I was doing group practice. Um, so I was able to, to take a lot of uh, individual to meet them. So I, I, there's absolutely no reason what, uh, that this wouldn't be possible in the telehealth, uh, world. Absolutely. So that, that would be, 
uh, a next step. I think that obviously the first would be to create, because obviously this is new. Um, there's not that many um, practice of uh, telemedicine and lifestyle, so we're very early into all this. Um, but that's definitely something I'm looking uh, forward to. And I could be the amazing thing as you support for maybe the physician uh, or even the patient. You could be anywhere in the world. You know, if I decide that I travel and go to Quebec as an example, I can still have the chance to do my practice. I don't have to be in the office. So that's that's for that, definitely. Uh, you know, that's very amazing. freeing for physicians too because, I mean, you have long time you know, in clinic hours and, and really you can't go anywhere because you see patient after patient after patient, which is I know from friends of mine who are doctors, very exhausting. Yes, yes. You know, this is this is amazing. Uh, you know, I'm doing, definitely looking forward to have the chance to do more um, regarding that. And I think one of the things also to go a little bit offside maybe is that, um, you know, uh, I talked a little bit about hormones and uh, I would say that uh, the majority of women were so concerned about this discussion, um, you know, because we went back and forth as usual in medicine. That's what we do uh, um, regarding the hormones. So it, just to give them the chance to have somebody whom could explain to them uh, the pros and cons. And if there's any indication, I certainly don't prescribe hormone to uh, all of them, but there are some uh, women that benefit. So it's important to have the chance to review that with a physician that gives them the I option. love that. I mean, there is a lot of confusion, isn't there, Elizabeth, around the whole hormone space, HRT, uh, and people have, I think, quite strong views on yes and no. But tell me a little bit more about your viewpoint around HRT and how women can get the best support in making decisions that work for them? Yeah, I think that the biggest thing is the uh, to be informed. That That's the thing because you as a, a person, you as a patient, um, you know, you need to be informed so that you can make your own decision. You know, like I mentioned earlier, there's some women that are not that symptomatic. So, you know, obviously they... they they don't even think that they need to use uh, anything. But some other women are so symptomatic. So it, it is important that we inform them and reassure them. As I mentioned earlier, when I started my practice many, many years ago, it, it was just a natural thing. Because, you know, when you think about it, we know that women are less uh, at risk, let's say, for cardiovascular disease. And we all knew that it was due to hormone. So then it makes sense to think that if we continue the hormone, we will continue being well protected. It was, it was clear in our mind that's the way to do it. It was not just because of hot flashes and other things. It was mainly for the cardiovascular disease. And then the study that were done with the typical hormones uh, did not, um, let's say the synthetic hormones, not to name them, um, were... Um, did not demonstrate that there was a protective factor because of all sorts of reasons that I don't necessarily want to uh, dissect here. Um, but suddenly no women wanted to be on hormones and no primary care physician were comfortable to prescribe hormones. So we went into a very big, deep uh, movement. And then again, now we have some studies that are reassuring that use more bioidentical hormones. So 
on this, you sit down with the women and you inform them of their uh, what it is uh, and let them decide and support them. That's that's the way you need we need to go with uh, these. You know, I, I review the lifestyle obviously, but I make sure that I inform them. <clears throat> and if there's an indication to use hormone, you know, I make sure that they're exactly. And I, I mean, I'm going to ask you a question because there is a certain group that I see, particularly out coming out of the UK, of physicians who are like hormones are just for everybody, and everybody should be taking them. What's your view on that? So uh, I'm sorry, I just want to make sure I heard you well. So from UK, uh, they say yep. that every there's woman an, should There's use quite it. a lot of very prominent uh, physicians who are, are, want to think that that should be something that every woman should take. Mm. Well, I guess uh, you, I'm learning on this. Uh, uh, you, you're, you're a little bit ahead of me. Um, you know, I think that even when I was... Uh, 30 years ago at the very early of my career, I think that, yes, this is exactly how we were taught. You know, everybody needs it. Um, I think for anything, I think we need to to take the time to inform the individual on any um, health situation to give them the chance to, to, to make the right decision. You know, so I'm not, it's always a little bit scary and dangerous to tell the people you need to use it. You have no choice. Uh, I think that we need to to take time and 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 uh, give them the option, and and then they they can decide on their own. Uh, I'm not sure that we have sufficient studies to tell us, uh, even if uh, they they see different. I don't think we have sufficient studies that tells us yet that uh, this is an absolute preventive factor to take the hormone. Even if in my mind, I will say that in the back of my mind. I, I've always had that personally. There is something that makes the difference that makes us being so well protected until menopause it has to be hormones. However, I still think that we got to take all the information, explain it, and make a decision. So I guess uh, you know it would be the same thing as when it's time to treat as an example somebody that has a slight elevation of cholesterol, and we say everybody, you're all going to go on statin. Uh, you know, there's side effects. So yes, and of course careful. that's true that, you know, hormones aren't all the same. I hear and follow a lot of women on, on various social media and they would say things like, well, sometimes I'm, I'm having problems and I'm having to try different types of hormone and I'm not finding the right one. So when I watched that, I didn't have hormones myself and opted because I, I can say that outside of my anxiety, my symptoms weren't that bad, that and that was a lifestyle thing. That wasn't really, it was only partially hormone related. But for a lot of women, they're actually finding it's not that easy to, to get the right hormone therapy straight off, that there is a sort of a trial and error. And I think that often becomes quite frustrating for them. Absolutely. Yeah, it does take, that's why it is important to um, give the time to inform and then Make sure you follow them uh, very, uh, you know, uh, correctly. It, it, there's not that it's not such a high number of the people that I'm following that are on hormone. You know, we really take time. It, it, it's hard to remove, and, and I think that from one country to another, uh, it's different. But uh, in the United States and North America, there's and it's not even in every single state, but I will say that in my area, there's a huge anxiety and it's a no-no. You know, this 
this uh, they're definitely scared and and I would say that they're scared mainly the biggest thing is is cancer breast cancer which a lot of studies have been very clear on that for for different uh we can certainly review that um that there's not such the association I think that the worst was definitely the the uh, progestin and uh, that uh, the synthetic progestin was the element that was increasing the risk but even with that, the risk was very, very small. And for women, as an example, that had no uterus due to a surgical treatment and were only on estrogen, seems that it's actually uh, preventing breast cancer. So it's this mind, when you have something anchor into your mind that says and is scared that uh, you, you just, you know, just, you, it's a block. It's a blockage. So it, it, takes, a, it takes patience and time to review it uh, with them to make sure that they understand. Yeah, and I think that's very reassuring. Uh, instead of having a, it's a yes or a no, it's very much an individual choice is what I'm hearing from you. Absolutely, absolutely. So uh, so clear. It, it's uh, it's interesting because we tend to discuss those elements and, and, you know, I'm, I'm, people see me as an, an expert, you know, I'm a, I'm a specialist, but in the world of the specialty, I'm not the the higher specialist. I live in a small community. I treat people in a small area. So I've seen lots of different things. I'm in the big university where I am the specialist of doing one thing. And that's the beauty of where I practice. I, I have seen so many things. Uh, and you had to... Uh, you know, you had to prepare yourself for everything. So in the menopause world, I, I certainly took time to uh, look at the pros and cons. And, and, and like you said, individually lies the treatment to the uh, people that were coming to see me. So that's the that's where you learn the best. Exactly. I and I love that approach, actually. And I'm sure your patients do, too, to be you know, very much an individual and and I think every doctor really does strive for that, but sometimes the system is kind of churning people through as well. I think in big cities where there's a lot of people, it's in and out and in and out, and it's it's harder for a doctor, you know, to have lots of time with a patient. Yeah, and I think that the telemedicine will change it. We're, we're due to a huge change in the healthcare system, wherever you are, on the planet, uh, it is uh, so much time, and, and it's it's sad that we have to have a a, a virus that uh, had to open up our, our eyes to what we could do different. I, I'm just hoping. I'm I hope that uh, the you know healthcare system at large. I don't want to pinpoint necessarily to physician, but the healthcare system at large um, will um, take time to. Uh, to do something different so that we can uh, be there for people um, in, in, a, in a better fashion. I mean, there's absolutely uh, a place for um, my kind of medicine. <laughs> uh, I'm saying that because in my uh, small community, I, I had to resign um, from my function because my organization was not um, going toward the value that I had. Uh, like I said, I couldn't, I didn't think that pay for service, like uh, seeing a lot of people, was the way I wanted to practice. And uh, I guess they, 
that's not the way they were seeing it. So obviously, I'm not doing it this way. You don't, they don't make supposedly as much money. So I had to uh, change my orientation. And I said, well, being uh, at this time of my career, I think it was time for me to to look at something different. And and I I am totally uh, ex- you know excited uh, by the chance I'm going to have to uh, talk with women all over the world. I mean, it's so amazing to have the chance to talk to you who is in Sweden now, you know? So imagine, I get, it's, it's fascinating, it, this, this new medicine. It is, and I love that. And I love that what, what that really is, is bringing the best of the current form of medicine to bring it to telemedicine that's going to make a huge difference. And to have that lifestyle element really does feel like the future because as you're right things have to change and unfortunately it took a pandemic to you know lay bare some of those facts of the failure in lifestyle and getting those messages across alongside you know health system that's really struggling and they're different in each country so they, they have their issues but certainly it's brought that sadly to the fore but it feels so hopeful listening to you Elizabeth that there is a new way forward and that's wonderful. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, it's it's exciting, really uh, much so. You know, instead of being in my office, seeing the little people in my little area, because here I am known as the physician who had delivered about third of the population. <laughs> <laughs> so when I go to a grocery store and you think, oh, they delivered that one, this one, um, which is cute. Hey, don't get me wrong. I love this because people know me quite well in this. Uh, but then suddenly, it's expanding my uh, potential of helping people all over. This, this is really uh, amazing. So, uh, you know, I'm looking forward for uh, And I can do it anytime. That's fascinating. Totally that fascinating. so wonderful. <laughs> Elizabeth, thank you so much for sharing your passion and your knowledge. How can people get in contact with you and start maybe working with you in telemedicine? <laughs> That's great. So, so you actually, there's two ways, um, two ways. Um, so the first thing is I'm doing also a leadership and wellbeing coaching so that you can find me, uh, on the website is let's lead llc.com. So, uh, we, uh, specialize probably in the coaching helping, uh, the transition for the early carriers. Uh, so if you have young individuals that are starting career, change career, we help them to transition. Into the lifestyle medicine, I will be very soon. Not yet, unfortunately, because it does take a little bit of time to get organized with new practice. I will be probably in the next two months uh, with an organization which is going to be under plant-based telehealth so plant-based telehealth.com so i'll be working with them and me my specialty with this group will be women's health and lifestyle that is fantastic elizabeth thank you so much for coming on thriving through menopause and sharing your passion sharing your knowledge we're very grateful thank you Oh, thank you for inviting me. This was a pleasure to have this uh, discussion with you and your client. Thank you for listening. If you have loved or liked this episode, then I would be deeply grateful if you would head over to iTunes 
and give it a five-star rating. My mission is to reach as many women as possible, menopausal midlife women who may be feeling alone and asking questions. Why do I feel this way? Thriving Through Menopause is all about a community and our collective wisdom. You matter to me. Your feedback, opinions and stories matter to me. And I would love to hear from you. So drop me an email, clarissa at clarissachristiansen.com. I genuinely want your feedback and your ideas on the topics that you would like to hear more of on this podcast. And if you are a woman who feels that they are struggling alone through menopause and you need more support, pop over to my website, clarissachristiansen.com. You can find free resources and you can book a one-to-one discovery call with me. Let's start conversation. Thank you once again for listening. The United States Border Patrol has exciting and rewarding career opportunities with the nation's largest law enforcement organization. Earn great pay with outstanding federal benefits and up to $20,000 in recruitment incentives. Learn more online at cbp.gov careers usbp. The, is it morning yet, deal. How about now? Or now? Because morning time is McDonald's breakfast time. And that's the best time of all the times. Get any sized iced coffee for just 99 cents until 11 a.m. And sweeten the deal when you pair it with a baked apple or pumpkin and creme pie. After all, why wait to treat yourself? Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. 